Welcome to Hydrant. We're so glad that you're with us as we continue down this conversational pathway of living according to a warrior code. As we discover an, an ancient pathway of peace and we look around our world and we see hate and violence and anger and chaos raging. And we've been saying throughout this series that we recognize that the world is at a lack of peace. The world lacks peace because we lack peace within. That the only real pathway toward peace in our neighborhoods and peace in our communities and in our world is for we as individuals, we as human beings, we as community to fight and struggle for peace within. The code of the warrior, the warrior code begins with this single truth that true warriors only fight for peace. True warriors only fight for peace. Not only that, warriors seek invisibility. We realize that character is formed, strength is formed, identity is formed in the invisible places, that we don't have to live to be seen, to live a life worthy of being seen. In recent weeks and months, it's astonishing how we as human beings become containers of so much hatred, of so much violence and so much anger and so much powerlessness that we reach out in hurting others. We have seen it in the stories of Ahmaud Arbery. We've seen it in the story of George Floyd. We have seen it in countless stories through recent months and years as individuals become these containers of so much hatred and so much violence that it spills out from them in the, in the destruction of lives, the destruction of those who bear the image of God. And our hearts break. And many of us, we can feel a bit helpless in times like this. We look and we see the hatred. We see the anger. We see the violence of, of man against man, of neighborhood against neighborhood, of community against community, nation against nation. And we know this is not the way it's supposed to be. This is not God's dream for the world. This is not what he intended when he made us. We have so much potential. We have so much creativity. We have so much strength as a species, and yet we have been unable to create peace, unable to find ways to eliminate that hatred and that violence and that anger and that hurt from within us. And we who are hurting tend to hurt others. And we, we need to find another way. We need to find a way of peace because for all of our potential for extraordinary greatness, there is an equal potential for destruction. It seems that the, the worst parts of us 
come easy. I know that's true for me. The worst parts of me come easy. If I allow myself to shift into neutral gear, which just being honest, that's happened through some of this quarantine season. There have been weeks or even months when I've allowed myself to shift into neutral gear. And when I'm in neutral gear, I don't take care of myself the way I should. I don't pay attention to my physical health or my emotional health or even my spiritual health the way that I should. I don't struggle for peace within. I don't struggle to hold on to hope. I don't replace toxic thoughts with truth. I have a tendency when I'm in neutral, it comes easy to be short with those I love. It, has, it comes easy to let anger come out of my mouth without having been processed through wisdom. In neutral, the worst parts of us come easy. And every, everything I want to be comes with struggle. Every virtue I hope to see in my life, every strength I hope to have, every good thing I hope to see in me or in my family or in my neighborhood or in my community, it comes through struggle. It comes through effort. It comes for a fight. But peace within and peace in our world is worth fighting for. It is worth fighting within ourselves for that peace. It is, it is worth fighting that, that angst, that anxiety, that fear that wells up in us so that we can lead to peace in our world. Because we, we as humans are the origin of some of the most inhumane things that happen in our society, in our country, in our world. All of these inhumane acts originate in humans. We need something to change in us. We need something to happen in us. We need a shift in our priorities and our understanding of what produces a life worth living. We need a different way of seeing strength, of seeing greatness, of seeing power. And I think it begins in the third line of the warrior code. The warrior seeks honor in service. The warrior seeks honor in service. I don't know about you, but sometimes I worry, I fear that the best part of me, that the, that whatever greatness or opportunity or potential that God has placed within me is trapped. It is, it is trapped and held captive by my fears. It's, held tra it's, it's trapped or held captive by my insecurities or my doubts or my failures. Here, here's what I believe. Here's what I believe about you and about me and about every human being, regardless of race or gender or sexuality or ethnicity, is that we are all created in the image of God. Every single one of us are created in the image of God. And therefore, there is value in every single one of us. Not only is there value, but there is a spark 
of greatness. If there is the divine, the image of the divine within you and within me, there is the potential for something great that God is calling us. He has created us for more than we can imagine or dream up or fathom or manipulate or create or achieve on our own. But the, but the question that still remains in that as we pursue that greatness, as we seek to kind of unlock that potential, as we seek to follow him to where he would take us and become who he created us to be, there, there is this struggle that we'll all face. How do we live in to the greatness that he's placed within us, but not allow arrogance or pride to take root in us? How do we hold together humility and greatness? If he has created us for more than we can see, if he has created us to live into potential, to be a, a one of influence, to have this ministry, this work, this calling, how do we live into that? How do we become our very best selves while not allowing pride to ruin us. You know, there's this one man at the center of everything we do as followers of Jesus. And even he is not known as the great. No one refers to him as Jesus the great. That actually, that title belongs to someone who lived several years before Jesus. A man named Alexander. And it's, it's kind of remarkable some of the similarities between Jesus and Alexander. Jesus was known and, and claimed and described as the son of Yahweh, the son of God. And Alexander was described as the son of Zeus. And then Jesus at the age of 12 is found in the temple with the religious leaders and the community leaders and the political leaders of his day asking questions and dialogue. And he, and he was amazing, the most intelligent people of his nation. Around that same age, it's written that Alexander started to show remarkable skill and potential as a warrior, as a strategist. He seemed to understand things that, that others didn't understand. In fact, it, his father died when he was around 20 years old and he he became king and ushered in an era that continues to affect the world today, known as the Hellenistic era. As Greek thought is spread throughout the world and begins to affect the way that every nation thinks, it points back to Alexander. Alexander the Great. In fact, he lamented that there were not more worlds for him to conquer. He lamented the fact that while Aristotle helped him to believe that there might be worlds on other planets, that he had not yet conquered all there was to conquer on earth so that he could begin to conquer these other places. He saw himself as a conqueror and he brought in this transformation that many of us, if we were honest, are probably more affected by Hellenistic philosophy and thought than we are even the teachings of Jesus. It affects every nation and culture today. 
He also died around 32 years old. Jesus at 33. Jesus lived in invisibility for 30 years, quietly becoming everything that he would be. And then for three years, he served. For three years, he taught. For three years, he healed. For three years, he did the miraculous. But there's this this really interesting moment that happens in John chapter 13. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn them there or to get your phones. Feel free to pause the video and to to grab the, the scriptures. In John chapter 13, beginning at verse 1, we find these words. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. In verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Before this moment, Jesus didn't have all power. He wasn't operating on 25% of his power. In fact, in John chapter 5, verse 19, Jesus says these words, Apart from the Father, I can do nothing. He had no power in and of himself. And Paul, the apostle, he writes in Philippians chapter 2, verse 7, that Jesus emptied him himself. He didn't consider himself to be equal with God. In fact, he, he lowered himself. He released, he emptied himself of that power. Every miracle that he performed up to this point, everything that he had taught, everything that he had done was done in the power of the Father, not his own power. Now, sometimes, sometimes we say things like absolute power corrupts absolutely. And then we, we've all seen those people who who seem to have changed when they got a little power. That person who gets promoted to manager or gets that, that new job and they get a little bit of authority and it goes to their head and they start to act in ways that, that seem out of character to what we've known. But the truth is they're not changing. You've just never really known them until that point. Because power, power doesn't change people. Power reveals what's really in people. That's what makes this so significant, right? When we look at Jesus, here is this moment when he is, he is given ultimate power. Here is this moment when, when everything is put under his power. And what does he do? Go back to John chapter 13. It says that, Verse 4, he got up from the meal and took off his outer clothing and he wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. In that moment, 
when Jesus is infused with ultimate power, when his greatness is fully revealed, when all of the potential of the divine and human erupt in him, his first act is to wash the disciples' feet. Washing the disciples' feet was one of the lowest jobs of the lowest servants that would have been there in the room. You see, as people walked around in ancient Israel in their sandals, there would have been all kinds of nastiness in the street, not to mention the sweat and the sand, the dirt that would have caked onto their feet. And as they come to lounge around for the meal, they needed to wash their feet. And it was such a gross and disgusting job that only the lowliest of servants would do it. And so Jesus, once again, serves. Once again, empties himself. Here he is with ultimate power, the ability to command angels to wash his feet if he chooses. He, he is the one who seems to not really understand what it means to act as one with all power, to, to act as one with all greatness. It throws us off because he gets on his knees and he washes his disciples' feet. The power that is in God, the power that is in Jesus is revealed his character and his motivation. We see that as we read there in John chapter 13, verse 1, that he loved those who had been given to him. And it is his love that motivates him, not his power. He's given power and his first action is one of love and service. In fact, I think this is probably why Judas betrays him. I don't think Judas betrayed him for money. I don't think Judas betrayed him because he wanted to see him killed. I think that Judas betrayed him in hopes of pushing Jesus into a corner so that he had to act, so that he had to respond because he believed that if he pushed Jesus far enough into a corner that he would rise up in all of his greatness and power and he would respond to his oppressors in violence. What Judas failed to understand, sometimes we fail to understand, is that Jesus will never conform to our image. Jesus will not be transformed to be like us. Instead, he invites us to be transformed, to be like him, to discover the honor of a servant. Jesus, at his heart, at his core, is a servant. We don't talk about this a lot. We don't sing songs about Jesus the servant. We sing about Jesus the king and Jesus the conqueror and Jesus the victor. But we don't really talk much or sing much about Jesus the servant because we don't like the idea of being servants ourselves. We much more, we much more prefer the posture of victor or king or conqueror. But for those who would be followers of Jesus, those who would be warriors in the cause of peace would find honor in service. 
You see, Jesus is not only far greater than us. We can, we can wrap our minds around Jesus who is greater than any other human being, greater than all creation. We can wrap our minds around the greatness of Jesus. But we struggle to wrap our minds around the fact that not only is Jesus greater than us, Jesus is more humble than us. Jesus is more humble than us. He finds his honor, his joy in serving. Sometimes I wonder why he would even deal with us. We are the neediest species on the planet. We're the only species that will call out to him while choosing not to believe in him at the same time. We are the, we're the only species that will ignore him when things are good, will we'll cry out to him when things get hard, and then will blame him when things get really bad or just doubt his existence altogether. We can't seem to relate to him. Why does he bother? Why does he bother? Jesus, God, he, he bothers, bothers with us because he loves us. He loves us. He believes in us when we don't believe in him. He pursues us when we ignore him. And he seems to be patient with us when we blame him. It's really strange. I mean, we would look at our world, right? We would look at our world and in those worst moments we think, God, why don't you change this? Why don't you fix this? Why don't you stop this evil? Why don't you end racism? Why don't you end the violence? Why don't you stop these stories from happening in our cities, in our towns, in our communities, in our world? Why do you allow slavery to continue to exist in this world? If you really loved us, you would stop this. But think about it for a minute. What would it take for God to stop this? What would it take for God to end slavery in our world? What would it take for God to end racism in our community? What would it take for God to end the violence, to stop every murder, every abuse? What would it, stop, what would it take for him to stop children from going to bed hungry? What would it take for him to fix this? He only has two choices to fix it. He can eliminate us or he can change us. To change the world, God can eliminate humanity or he can change us. He has an infinite patience with us out of love. He has an infinite graciousness with us out of love. He doesn't force us or demand us, but he constantly invites us to a better way. He, in, he constantly invites us to discover his love for us and allow it to flow through us to 
others. He constantly demonstrates a way of humility and love and embrace and patience and goodness and kindness. He, he demonstrates the warrior code in his own life on earth. And he invites us. He invites us to see ourselves as we are. He invites us to allow him to transform our hearts. That's what we really need. It's remarkable. I mean, if you look at this moment in the story, Jesus doesn't perform another miracle until after the resurrection. So after he receives all power, he stops doing miracles. Every miracle he performs, he performs in the power of the Father. But when power is awakened in him, it reveals that he is motivated by love. It reveals he is motivated by love. And I think we see a pattern here. That God will entrust power to those, will entrust his power to those who are motivated by love. Until we are motivated by love, we can't be trusted with power. We can't be trusted with greatness. We can't be trusted with influence and authority because we use it for our own gain and to hurt others. And what we need most is a new heart. In Ezekiel chapter 37, we hear God proclaiming that I will give my people a new heart. I will take out that heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. A heart that beats with love. A heart that beats to serve. A heart that beats for the hurting. A heart that beats for the marginalized. A heart that beats for the underprivileged. The heart that beats for the hungry. A heart that beats for the hurting. And when our heart beats as God's heart beats, he begins to trust us with more. But not until then. Greatness is given for the purpose of serving. The greatness, the potential, the strength, the gifts that he has put in you have been put there for the, the purpose of serving. Power is given to serve. Influence is given to serve. The warrior seeks honor in service. We fight for peace in ourselves and in our world by serving. When we receive that new heart from God, nothing changes until we receive a new heart from God, until we allow him to do a work on that heart of stone, that heart that has been hardened by the wounds of our past, the baggage that we carry, the loneliness, the fear, the things that cause us to harden that heart to keep others from being able to hurt us. Until he takes that heart of stone and he replaces it we're unable to truly fight for peace. Peace in our families, in our homes, in our community. Having received the heart of Christ, we can receive the mind of Christ. 
We can begin to see and think the way that he thinks. We can, we can make ourselves servant to those around us. We will discover that true greatness is found in serving. It's not in building our own name or building our own reputation. We must be motivated by love, not by power, not by authority, not by opportunity, not by fame or being known, but we must be motivated by love. And having been motivated by love, we will find our honor in serving. Everything we hope to be, everything we hope to become everything we hope to see in our families, in our home, our community. It's all found on the pathway to service. It's all found as we together serve one another with the heart and mind of Christ. We cannot achieve those things on our own. We can't force ourselves to obtain the heart and mind of God. We simply humble ourselves and recognize that we have nothing in and of ourselves to create that. That we simply must ask. He tells us that if we confess our sins, He is faithful. He's just to forgive us our sins. He tells us that anyone who confesses Jesus as Lord will be saved. We're simply invited to follow him, to allow him to change us instead of trying to change him, to become those who serve, who serve to bring about the dream of God, a world marked by joy and peace and hope and love as people of every race and ethnicity as people from all corners of the world in all of our differences see one another, love one another, and come together under the banner of Jesus. This is where greatness is found. The warrior finds honor in service. Let's pray. Father, our first tendency is to resist the role of servant, to resist the, the, the need to bow our knee. But God, we recognize that if we're going to fight this fight, if we're going to fight for peace in ourselves and in the world and in our communities and in our home, that our weapon is that of service that we must live by the code that honor is found in serving and be people who serve, people who put the interest of others above our own. And so, God, would you help us? Help us to see through the eyes of others. Help us to listen to the stories of others. Help us to engage in meeting the needs of others. Help us to steward the privilege and opportunity that we've been given to raise up others. God, Use us toward your dream. Use us as warriors seeking the ancient path of peace. And may our neighborhood, our community, our church reflect your dream, your kingdom. May be all for your glory. Amen. Amen.